So this afternoon we are studying what Scripture teaches about God's just punishment upon sin, as summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 4 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So we will now read Lord's Day 4 together. Lord's Day 4, but does not God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man cannot do? No, for God so created man that he was able to do it. But man, at the instigation of the devil, in deliberate disobedience, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. Will God allow such disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished? Certainly not. He is terribly angry with our original sin as well as our actual sins. Therefore, he will punish them by a just judgment both now and eternally, As he has declared, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. But is God not also merciful? God is indeed merciful, but he is also just. His justice requires that sin committed against the most high majesty of God also be punished with the most severe, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. As far as the reading of our confession. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, nearly 100 years ago, a man named Richard Niebuhr wrote a book called The Kingdom of God in America. And he described the belief of many churches at that time in this way. He said, this is how many churches, what many churches practically confessed, a God without wrath brought man without sin into a kingdom without judgment through a Christ without a cross. So what he is saying is that those people in those churches, they had effectively cut out from the Bible, things like uh, the wrath of God, and they ignored God's uh, teaching in his word about sin and the need for atonement. Sadly, that description still describes uh, many people and many churches today. You know, a few years ago, the PCUSA, a large Presbyterian church in the United States, made headlines when a controversy sprang up over a popular song The hymn committee for this federation of churches wanted to include the song in their new hymn book, uh, In Christ Alone. They wanted to include this song. However, before its inclusion, they requested to have the lyrics changed for their hymnal. Instead of singing, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. They wanted to sing, till on that cross as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. Right? They wanted to cut out references to the wrath of God. While the songwriters, Keith and Christine Getty, refused to change, the song never made it into that hymnal. Now, the wrath of God, it's not so nice to sing about, of course. Right? Even when it's in connection with the cross. It's much more pleasant and less offensive to sing about God's love, and we should indeed rejoice at singing about God's love. 
It's not just to sing about it. It's also, it can be hard to hear about it. To sit here this afternoon and hear about God's just wrath upon sin. And that's why the teaching of God's wrath receives pushback from many people and also many churches. And that tendency can be in our hearts too. But we cannot go there. As much as it might make things more pleasant, it would not make things better. See, the Bible describes God's wrath against sin for us. What God has written in his word is for our good. Also, this part of the Bible. That's also why we have Lord's Day 4 in the Catechism. We need to explore this part of God's word also. We need to hear about God's wrath upon sin, but of course, we also will not leave things there. We will also see God's wrath in light of his love in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. So I preach you God's word this afternoon under the following theme. God brings justice upon sinners by his eternal wrath. We'll look at three things. First of all, the importance of thinking about God's wrath. Second, the true justice that is God's wrath. And finally, the benefits from knowing about God's wrath. So again, God's wrath, it can be hard to think about. And you know what? I'll admit, it's, yeah, it's downright terrifying to think about it. You know, I've been, as I was making this sermon, I was reflecting on God's wrath for a week, and it's not an enjoyable thing to do. But again, it's necessary, it's important. You know, people who don't think about it only harm themselves. And we see evidence of that throughout the Bible. Earlier we read from 2 Peter 2, 2 Peter 2 gives uh, two Old Testament examples that foreshadow God's wrath upon sinners. Those examples are the great flood in Noah's time and God's punishment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And by the Holy Spirit, Peter writes, God did not spare the ancient world, but he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And God also turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, condemning them to extinction making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Now, when we study those two examples of God's punishment upon sin, what do we see? We see so many people not bothering to think about God's justice or his wrath against sin. We see so many people who did not take it seriously. Look at the example of the great flood. How many people were saved from the flood? Eight people. Noah and his family. It's not like no one else heard about the coming flood. It took Noah 100 years to build the ark. And Noah was a preacher of righteousness, says Scripture. But no one took God's judgment seriously. Once the ark was finished, God closed the door with Noah and his family inside. Then the flood came, destroyed them. There were no second chances. Look also at the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
How many people were saved from that judgment? Four. Four people. Although in one sense only Lot was truly saved. When the angels came to Lot's house and saw them, they began to warn him. Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place where we are about to destroy this place. Because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. You can notice the urgency in his voice. So then Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were soon going to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to, to destroy the city. But what did they do? They didn't listen. They thought he was only joking. And how many people in this world are not like Lot's sons-in-law? They hear something about God's judgment and punishment, meant upon sin, but they don't take it seriously. They're just too caught up in things like the Winnipeg Jets to even think about it. We need to ask, does that describe me too? Then there was Lot himself. Lot had seen the wickedness of Sodom. Think about the men surrounding his home in Genesis 19. He was tormented in his soul over their lawless deeds, what he saw and heard. And he should have known this judgment was coming. But after the angels warned him and he warned his sons-in-law, there he is still humming and hawing, taking his sweet old time to get his act together and leave, not taking it seriously as he should have. The angels had to grab him and push him out of his house and Take him to the edge of the city. Tell him to run. Throughout the story, Lot seems hesitant. He just does not understand the depths of God's just judgment. How many of us are not like Lot? Yes, like Lot, a believer. Yes, like Lot, appalled at the wickedness you see and hear in this world. Has it been really impressed upon your heart that God's wrath is coming on this wicked world? It's coming. Are you, like Lot, you don't really take it seriously or even think about it? Then there's Lot's wife. She did not take God's judgment seriously. She had lived a long time in Sodom. Maybe she was appalled at the wickedness too. But all throughout that time, her heart grew more and more attached to that city. And the things of this world started to take over her heart. Maybe she was so busy planning the upcoming weddings of her two daughters that she simply didn't think about this. And there they were fleeing from Sodom and her heart pulled her back. So she looked back and she was turned into a pillar of salt. You know, the Lord Jesus says in Luke 17, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. How many of us are like Lot's wife? Then there's Lot's daughters. They did not take God's judgment upon sin seriously enough. They escaped the judgment upon Sodom for the moment, 
but they did not repent of its wickedness. They took the wickedness of Sodom with them as they left the city. Just read the rest of chapter 19 sometime. You'll, you'll see it there. We should ask how many of us are like Lot's daughters, too caught up in things like Instagram and Netflix to even think about God's judgment on sin and sharing in the sins of the world. Finally, there's the people of Israel. Remember, Genesis 19 was first of all written for them. God was showing his people that, showing them that people who don't repent will be cast out of the land. Israel did not take that seriously. They thought, we're the covenant people of God. That won't happen to us. But they outdid even the wickedness of Sodom at times, so God brought punishment upon them too. So we need to ask, how many of us have that attitude? I'm part of God's covenant people, so everything will be fine, even if I engage in the same wickedness as everyone else on earth. Right? In Genesis 19, the only ones who seem to take God's punishment seriously are the angels. Keep urging Lot and his family, flee. So we should ask ourselves, am I more like the angels or like Lot and his family? Brings us to our second point. Now, as you think about God's judgment, sometimes objections to it can arise in our minds. For example, thinking about God's eternal wrath can at times make us question the goodness of God. Maybe you've had that yourself, and maybe as I preach to you the sermon right now, you're even struggling with that right now. You see, in our hearts, we can have this nagging doubt that God's eternal wrath against sinners is it's not fair, it's not just especially when we understand that hell is forever. Maybe we begin to think that God is, is cruel or that he delights in, in punishment. You know, J.I. Packer put it well in his book, Knowing God, when he said, the root cause of people's unhappiness with the, with the idea of hell seems to be a disquieting suspicion that ideas of wrath are in one way or another unworthy of God. To some, for instance, wrath suggests a loss of self-control, an outburst of seeing red, which is partly, if not wholly, irrational. To others, it suggests the rage of wounded pride or plain bad temper. Surely it is said it would be wrong to ascribe to God such attitudes as these. Those sorts of ideas might arise in our minds, and Satan might tempt us with those sorts of ideas too. And this is why also Lord's Day 4, when talking about God's punishment upon sin, focuses a lot on God's justice. His justice. We see some of this in question and answer 9. After having described humans' inability to keep God's law, question 9 asks, But does not God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man cannot do? The answer is no, for God so created man that he was able to do it. But man, at the instigation of the devil, 
In deliberate disobedience, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. See, God is not going to lower his standards for people who have rebelled against him. And we see that sort of thing in in the world all the time. Uh, For example, if a man wants to become a police officer, he needs to pass various fitness tests. Imagine the man stops exercising and eats nothing but ice cream and donuts for the next three months. It's not unjust for the police force to still require him to pass the same test to become a police officer. The man fails He only has himself to blame. Same thing between us and God. So Lord, say four goes on. God will not allow such disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished. He's terribly angry at sin and sinners. He will punish them by a just judgment both now and eternally. Hell is God's righteous judgment, His righteous justice on those who sin. And yes, that punishment is forever. I know that's that's scary. And so in light of that punishment, question 11 asks, but is God not also merciful? We confess He is indeed merciful, but He is also just. His His justice requires this punishment. And this is what we must see. God's wrath is not out of control rage. It's a matter of pure justice. To quote J.I. Packer again, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. God is only angry when anger is called for. So, his punishment is a just punishment. This afternoon, I'll give you two reasons why this is. We could give more, but I'll just give you two reasons why it's a just punishment. Reason number one. Rebelling against a greater authority requires a greater punishment. And we recognize that's a reality in this world. If someone were to assault a judge in a courtroom, the punishment is greater than if someone were to assault an average citizen on the street. Why is that the case? Well, an assault on a judge in a courtroom is an assault against a higher authority. It's an attack against the entire justice system that cannot go unpunished. Letting the assault on the judge go unpunished would have greater consequences for the entire society. Therefore, the attack demands a greater punishment. We see some of that in Lord's Day 4. Sins committed against the Most High Majesty of God require the most severe punishment, that is, everlasting punishment of body and soul. You know, in some ways, we might not be able to, we can't fully comprehend that hell's a just punishment for sin. We can't understand that now. That's also because we cannot fully comprehend God. But if we could, 
we would see in an instant that God is just when he brings this punishment. Reason number two. An authority, a type of authority, provides benefits for the people underneath that authority. So an authority, you have an authority, and people underneath the authority. The authority provides benefits for the people underneath the authority. Rebellion or, and revolution against that authority means forfeiting the benefits that come from that authority. And we see this in the world in many ways, too. We know this is how the world works. For example, living under the authority of the Canadian government means access to the benefits of that authority. If a person starts a revolution against the government, that person is by that act forfeiting the benefits that come from that government. Right? The government would be completely just to withhold the benefits from that person. And we all recognize that. Right? Someone who is trying to start a revolution well, will lose their tax benefits, anything. You mention it. Right? Even the person who rebels understands that he is forfeiting the benefits of the very government he's rebelling against. It makes perfect sense. Well, this is also how it is with rebellion and revolution against God, which sin is. You see, living under the authority of God provides us with every benefit imaginable. God, the king of all the earth, is the source of everything good. Any bit of happiness you may, might experience, any bit of gladness in life, any bit of enjoyment in life has its source in the kingship and rule of God. Every good gift that we experience comes down from God. And since people have rebelled against his rule, made themselves enemies against him, he is perfectly just to say, if you don't want me as king, if you're going to rebel against my rule, then you will lose the benefits of my reign. It's just. But here's the thing. Losing the benefits of God's rule means hell. For that's what hell is. It's in hell God withholds the benefits of his rule to people who don't want them, him as their king. That means no more enjoyment of anything. Right? It makes perfect sense. Every good gift comes to us from God. Any bit of enjoyment in life, any bit of gladness comes from God. And if we say we don't want God as king, which sin is, then God the king is just to say you will not receive the benefits of my rule. I hope you can see from this that God is not unjust with his punishment. And you know, even if you still struggle with this teaching, then hold on to this. You will understand when God re reveals himself from heaven. You will see on the day of judgment that no one is getting a bad deal. God will do what is right. I can guarantee you that. He will do what is right. That brings us to our last point. 
Now, as I said in the introduction, this teaching is in the Bible, and whenever God is written in the Bible is for our benefit. It includes this teaching. So what are the benefits that come from knowing about God's wrath? Well, we can list many things. Well, by this teaching, we first of all come to see God's greatness. Remember, this punishment is a matter of justice because of the greatness of the person sinned against. When we understand that this is a just punishment, then we understand God is far greater than we can even possibly imagine. That's the first benefit. The second benefit is this. When you know something about God's wrath against sin, you will be all the more shocked by sin, which so often we are not. So often we view sin as so lightly as, as not a big deal at all, and then just make excuses for sin. But you cannot help but shudder at sin when you understand that this is God's just punishment against sin. Not only that, but there's also this. When the weight of God's judgment presses upon us, it compels us to seek God's mercy in Christ. And that is what we will receive in Christ. See, justice requires that my sin be punished by hell and your sin be punished by hell. The only option you and I have is to come to God and ask for mercy. One reason why we study this doctrine is so that we might all do this. So please listen, every one of you. Come to God. Do not harden your heart against Him. Come to God for mercy and grace. Why would you harden your heart against Him? Why would you not? Why would you not come to Him? Remember, only eight people were saved at the time of Noah's flood. If only more had sought the mercy of God. It was the worst mistake they ever made. Don't make that same mistake. There's nothing more important you can do than believe in Jesus Christ. Ask God to forgive your sins through Him. And added to that, seeing and understanding God's punishment on sinners does another thing. It makes us marvel at the grace of God in Christ. Do you know what Christ has saved you from? Can you see how gracious God has been to you by bringing this gospel to you? There's forgiveness in Christ. There's eternal life in Christ and the love of God in Him. You know, I'd like to see God's grace also in light of what we read from 2 Peter 2. There we read... God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. Now, we might not understand all the details of what is written here, but that's okay. What I want to point out is that here we see some angels, of course, we know, sinned against God too. And they deserve the same punishment as sinful humans. But here it says, God did not spare, save any angels that sinned. And God did not send His Son in the likeness of an angel to pay their penalty. And God did not spare angels when they sinned, but for us, 
God did not spare His only Son. Right? God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but for us, God did not spare His Son. Who can comprehend that grace of God? And God does not save every human that sins, but by His sheer grace, He has chosen to Reveal His love in Jesus Christ to you who are sitting here this afternoon. It's pure grace. Believe in Jesus Christ. In Christ, there's full salvation for sinners from God's wrath. God the Father Himself sent His Son into this world. Christ Jesus offered up that sacrifice that turns aside God's wrath forever for those who look to Him in faith. Romans 3 says the sacrifice turns aside God's wrath for us when we put our trust in Jesus' blood. Beloved, believe. There's no more wrath for those who receive Christ's sacrifice in faith. Believe in Jesus Christ. You know, in the first point of my sermon, I emphasize the necessity of thinking about God's wrath. I want to emphasize this because so many people go through life without considering it, it at all. And as a result, they don't take the gospel seriously, and they never believe in Jesus Christ. I would not want that to happen to any of you. But sometimes, for others, and maybe for yourself, God's wrath is something that dominates your mind all the time. And they cannot go a day without living in fearful terror of hell, even though they are looking to Christ in faith. But beloved, we don't need to do that either help you in this, consider how 2 Peter 2 describes Lot from the book of Genesis. Verse 8 calls him a righteous man. Righteous man. He was a man under the grace of God, an object of God's mercy in Christ. And isn't that comforting? When you read Genesis, when you read the passage we read, it's clear that Lot was not perfect in himself. But Lot was, first of all, righteous in Christ. And that's the way it is for us who believe. We are righteous in Christ. That is why there is no condemnation for you who believe, for you who are in Christ Jesus. You see, for the person who does not believe in Jesus Christ, this world is the closest thing he or she will ever get to heaven. But for the believer, this world is the closest thing he or she will ever get to hell. That's because of Christ. That certainly changes your perspective on life, doesn't it? For you who believe, This world is the closest thing you will ever get to hell. It's because Christ Jesus has secured eternal life for us by his sacrifice. I'll leave you with one last benefit that comes from knowing God's wrath against sinners before we end. Knowing God's wrath instills in us a desire for others to be saved. Pray, beloved. Pray for opportunities to tell others about Christ. 
pray for God's blessing on the work of mission in this fallen world. Pray for the ministry of the gospel in this church that we might continually hear about our Lord Jesus Christ, that we might have eternal life. No, this world left to itself is a world under God's punishment. Pray, seek opportunities, the good news of Christ to spread to everyone, that everyone in this world might believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing Psalm 116, the stanzas 1, 2, and 5.